Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 433. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 433 you're listening to. My guest today is Nick Masitti, who is based out of Brooklyn, New York. He's a producer, engineer, sound designer, editor, mixing and mastering engineer. And he does work for Amazon, ABC, iHeartRadio, NPR. And he also works for bands such as Animal Adjective and Super City. He didn't mention it in his bio, but he's actually a fiction writer too. And we have a great conversation that gets pretty heady, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, looking forward to having you hear it. Nick Masitti, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about fear of missing out. So as I record this, Nam is just ahead of us and being held in April, which is not the normal way it is, but you know, because of COVID, things got moved around, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, so Nam's in April. And, you know, I was talking to a friend in uh, Tel Aviv yesterday and asked him, I said, are you going to go? And he was like, no, it's like you know, two grand to get a flight. And then there's the, you know, everything else that you got to pay for. And I can definitely identify with the frustration of expensive expensive travel arrangements to get to something that you really want to be at. And there's that fear of like, well, if I don't go, you know, am I going to miss out? And am I going to, am I going to miss some opportunities? You know, the short answer is, yeah, you are going to miss some opportunities, but is it the end of the world? Not really. No. I mean, I want to encourage everybody to go to NAM because I think it's so fun, but you know what? I skip AES many times for the sheer expense of it because you know, flying from the West Coast to the East Coast, that can get pricey. And, you know, staying in New York is not cheap. And it's just, you know, when they when they hold the events for short periods of time, then you're like, okay, well, I'll, you know, it's only two or three days and I'm gonna spend all this money for two or three days. Is that really worth it? And I've just decided that, you know, if it doesn't feel right to you for your own personal situation, it probably isn't right. There's that, you know, I think that feeling, those are red flags that you shouldn't do it. If, you know, if, if you've got like money in the bank and you feel like, hey, I can splurge and go have a, you know, a great time, go do it. But if you don't, don't, it's okay. Stay home. Connect with those around you that you can get to without great expense. You know, is there an alternative event that you could attend? Uh, are there streaming events that you can, you know, take advantage of? Are there networking events that are outside of those avenues, right? I would love to go to Music Mesa. Uh, I would love to go to a, you know, whatever else is going on over in Europe, but you know, the expense of it and then the getting away part. And if you're like me and you have kids, then, you know, there's the negotiation with your significant other to say, you know, I need to go to this thing or I want to go to this thing, you know, and say, Hey, I need you to take care of the kids or I need you to do whatever the dog or whoever it is. That's a factor. And you have to, as those of you who have significant others know to go to that person and say, Hey, this is what I need to do. You know, it's got to matter. But, you know, for Nam, you know, my wife knows 
you know, it's close by. It's not that expensive. Obviously, to fly down from, you know, from Oakland down to Anaheim is, you know, it's a hop, skip, and a jump for me, and it's not that expensive of a flight. And then, you know, I find a fairly cheap hotel. Actually, I, I have to give credit where credit's due. My brother from another podcast, Lid Shaw from Recording Studio Rockstars, actually is the one who found our hotel. Because Lidge is very, you know, financially uh, aware, and he will find us a place that's safe, cheap, does the job, not too fancy. At the end of the trip, I'm always like, damn, Lidge, you did a great job of finding us a, a cheap place, and that, that bill doesn't stress me out to pay. But, you know, if you're paying... 500,000, 2,000 and more to to travel. That's pretty that's pretty serious. Fear of missing out. That intense fear that oh my god, I got to be out there. I got to do things. Redirect it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just redirect it. Find other places to put it. It doesn't have to be put in those events. Those events are cool and they're fun. Uh but yeah, you know, I miss AES. I would love to go back, but not at not a great expense. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's it. Yeah. Fear of missing out is, you know, also maybe some red flags for some other things, as I mentioned earlier. So keep an, keep an eye out for that with yourself. You know, listen, listen to your uh, gut reactions. Yeah, that's it. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Nick Masitti here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How you doing? I'm great, great. And you're uh, you're tired because you have an 18 month old boy or girl? It's a boy. His name's Gideon. And is it uh, your first child? It is my first. Oh man, you are in such deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes three or four, five or five times a day. Oh yeah. wow, yeah. Well, it's really an enjoyable journey. So uh, have fun with it and. Yeah, it goes by so fast. And then there are teenagers who are on the edge of moving out of your house. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine that. He's too cute right now. I don't I don't really want to let him go at all. Oh, yeah. Well, you enjoy that, that journey, like I said. But let's talk about your journey. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Manhattan, New York. Hmm. So not too far away from where I'm living now in Brooklyn, New York. My family was from Brooklyn. They moved to Manhattan. And then I moved back to Brooklyn. So you've spent your life in New York. Except for about two years where I was in Baltimore going to college and transferred out of, out of there and back to New York. But yeah, pretty much. I've actually always wanted to not live in New York, but I've lived in New York my whole life. So it's just in your DNA. Yeah. Yep. So growing up, brothers, sisters? I've got two brothers. They're quite a bit older than me. One's 21 years older than me. One's 18 years older than me. And they are both writers. And they're both pretty successful writers, actually. Okay. And anybody in your house have any musical talent or involved in recording in any way? Oh, God, yeah. My dad, he had this sort of branch where he could have been a doctor or a classical organist. And he went with doctor, but he always wanted to be a classical organist. So we had, obviously, you can't build a pipe organ into an apartment, but we had a lot of very early digital synths going up through my whole childhood and he would constantly improvise and when i say improvise i don't mean like playing rhythm changes or something like that he would like take messianic or messian you know he would, he would play all that kind of weird organ music cluster harmony 
all the time. And we'd have to like, you know, as he got older, he'd get deafer and deafer and organ would get louder and louder. We'd all be trying to have a conversation in any room in the house. We'd be like, dad, turn the organ down. What is going on here? (laughs) So yeah. And he also got me on this path of being into manipulating audio because his favorite band of all time was the Alan Parsons project. Mm. And so at the age of 10 years old, he bought me ammonia Avenue. And then from there gave me enough of an allowance to go buy my own Alan Parsons record week after week until I got all of them. Did you play any instruments growing up? I did. I was a guitar player Mm -hmm. and I actually went to conservatory for jazz guitar and I also played the drums and the bass and I could sort of hammer my way around on keyboards enough to sort of handle basic parts. I can move chords around and then, you know, octave, fifth octave on one hand. I can do that. So people think I can play the piano, but not, not really. And people think I can play the drums, but not really. But guitar was my main, my main grind. Uh, what point did you discover audio and recording as something you were attracted to? Oh, man. I mean, I think I always wanted to be an audio engineer without really noticing it. Like, for instance, I had this sort of like halfway decent touring kind of band. And I had this rig with them where it was three amplifiers and one was handling all of the reverb delay and modulation and the other was handling good clean to dirty tone. And then the third was either handling DI acoustic going to the house off of one guitar. It was like a pie, had a split piezo out or it was handling octave stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I realized looking back on it is I was bussing my guitar to an auxiliary channel to <laughs> give it the effects that it needs to like create studio sounds on stage. I mean, it, it did hell on my back, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, when I was a kid, I have a very clear memory of my brother coming back from Russia where he was a journalist when the Soviet Union was collapsing. And he told us about this new thing called a CD-ROM burner. I was like, you mean I can make my own albums? And he was like, yeah, in fact, there's software where you can like overdub all the parts. And that just sort of blew my mind. And I started trying to do that with tape recorders first, you know, like two little cassette decks. And so I'm, I was born in 1985. So I kind of missed tape a little bit. Do you remember the BR-1180 boss recorders? Not off the top of my head. They were like 10 track digital recorders that were standalone and they had faders and they were mixers and they had built in effects and stuff. When I was like 18, I would make all the band's demos in there. We would do our records in there. And then we would make just tons of music because you could, you could do that classic thing where you could dump like all 10 tracks to two tracks and then dump eight tracks to two tracks and then eight more tracks to two tracks. And so we would just create crazy overdub stuff. And that's when I sort of really got into it. And from there it was like, you know, messing around with reason and logic and pro tools and And suddenly every like sort of person I was tangentially associated with in the music scene was asking me to sort of look at how they could record. And then that became, how do I mix your thing? And that even then became, how do I master your thing? And so it just sort of went from there to there. Yeah. Do you have a memory of your first professional audio gig where somebody actually paid money to have you do something? 
as an audio engineer. Mm-hmm. There's a producer. I don't know if he goes by Jamie Silverstein or Jamie David. He's done some work with Miguel, all this stuff. And we were boys back in the day. And he was making a jazz record called Gift. And he hired me to do edits on it. And then he didn't like the way the mixes were sounding. He thought the edits I was doing sounded better. So he hired me to mix it. And then he didn't like the way that the mastering sounded. So he hired me to master it. And that was my first paid audio gig. That would have been in, oh God, I must have been 21. Mm -hmm. So whatever 1985 plus 21 is. Yes. 2006. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was my first, that was my first like paying that I can remember being paid to like mix. And I was like, oh my God, I could do this. This is great. After kind of discovering audio and and going down the various experimental paths with different kinds of recorders and such, did you ever make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to do this for a living or I'm going to make this a major part of my world? Yes. I made that decision when I was in my early twenties that I was going to pursue a double path career, one in audio engineering and the other in the writing of fiction. Mm. Those are two things that really speak to me in sort of the same way, but I can get into that later. But like it was around then. And I remember because I just, I was working in guitar center as a person who slings guitars it was right around when the economy crashed, I remember, because nobody was making any money doing anything. And I was like, might as well just start doing this. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I sort of went there and it's been a very long, windy road filled with lessons to where I am today. A lot of it has been like, I'm in a good place now, but I wasn't always. So, Oh, yeah. It has been a crazy, crazy journey to where we are now, I guess. Absolutely. I I identify with that very much. That's something you and I have in common. We both worked at Guitar Center. Yeah. I got fired with, it was like seven of us got fired at once. Oh, why? There was a new manager and this was not too long after you were born, honestly. honestly. This was 1989. Oh, man. Then after I was fired, there was the Loma Prieta earthquake out here in San Francisco, huge earthquake. And then somebody ran a truck through the front door of the place. Oh, was it like ocean style, like trying to steal the most expensive guitars kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, I, I guess that was the the case. Cool, and I cool. can't remember if those two things were, in my memory, they, were, they coincided. Like the earthquake happened and then somebody ran that truck through the front door. And I had been fired before that, so I was quietly cheering, going, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the guys who did the heist had like a basher guy in like ocean style who made an earthquake happen just underneath the guitar center? (laughs) Like a Don Cheadle character? Yeah, exactly. 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 (laughs) Terrible English accent and all in it. Oh, yeah. 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 That'd be great. Yeah. But anyways, just really quickly, the fiction thing, where does that come from? Well, all this stuff probably comes from having a dad who wanted to be a writer. My dad always wanted to be a fiction writer, ended up being a doctor and a movie critic, and his sons are all writers. So it's probably all like just trying to like deal with the pressure of of that kind of father. I had like a Royal Tenenbaum style kind of dad. Love him very much. He he passed last year, but- um, I'm sorry. Thanks. Yeah, it it was rough. So I was very influenced by him. Again, around the same time I was getting into music, he handed me Raymond Chandler and Red Harvest and- all these like crazy detective novels. I went from a kid who only, I liked playing video games while watching TV. I had two TVs 
I would do one a lot. And I went to doing just like reading a book a day and then just trying to write stuff. And there is something I have to say about putting together a mix mm -hmm. and like puzzling it together, like trying to find the space for all the elements and tell a story with it. That is scratches for me the exact same itch of like, all right, I have this plot. I know like this has to happen, that has to happen, and that has to happen. And I've got these characters and I sort of know what they're doing. It's like the same sort of, all right, well, if I turn that down, but like maybe I don't turn it down. Maybe I just turn down the stereo signal. Let's turn down the mids in this one frequency. That'll fit this in there. It's like the same thing. Like if I make this character more like this person I know, maybe this will happen in the plot more organically. It's it's strange, I know, but it no, seems to no, sort of scratch. It doesn't seem strange to me at all. In fact, it really, to me, it begs the question, for mixing engineers, do you think imagination is key? I would hope so. Yeah. It's funny. I get some of the same mixers coming back to me, or I work with some of the same mixers, and they certainly have a style that has to be their imagination. Like you, It's almost like you get to know them through their their style and you're like it's the way that they hear the world mm -hmm. and it has to involve their imagination and how they see things and how they want to tell stories i mean all this stuff is about telling stories right it, it is and you know i kind of just go back to my own childhood and not to get all psychotherapeutic on you but like my parents were both psycho my dad was a psychiatrist so oh, go for it yeah there you, i okay. speak the lingo I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here yeah no, no, no. I mean, I, I go back to the, a time of, of being a kid with a wild imagination and I played with Star Wars figures. And I think early on that ability to, for me, be in a world that didn't have the internet and didn't have too many distractions, it allowed me to explore what anybody would explore as a young kid. It's just like making up stories and ideas and I, you know, and then watching movies and being inspired by that. And I think if I go to a mix that I just did yesterday, uh -huh. everything you're saying about fiction and stories and, and characters fits that mix so much because yeah. I have a visual of that mix, not, yeah, totally. not, of the, not of the DAW screen, but of what's happening in that world. Yeah. It's funny. This happens to me both when I'm playing like a jazz tune and when I'm mixing any song is like, there's a part of the tune that's like evil and a part of the tune that's victorious. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, like if it's like a certain pre-chorus that launches into the chorus, it's like where all the tension is. It's like, oh, that's where the evil happens. And we like to have to, you know, it's like these sort of archetypal ways that we conceive of stories of having bad and good. They show up in my brain when I'm analyzing a piece of music, however I'm doing it. So yeah, I would hope that engineers have imagination i mean we want to do this you know we want to make things happen that didn't happen before yeah it's more than making something sound good it, to me it's more about not just conveying emotion but conveying like there's a world here that you get lost in when you when you listen to it absolutely yeah totally and it's tough because like i also have the strong urge to be like well how the fuck did that guy get that sound Oh, let me use that reference and see if I can try to do that. Let me see what piece of gear I have that can do that. And it's always, it's sort of like, then I get into this weird crux of, am I aping this thing that I heard or am I making something that is wholly new? 
And it's it's always a sort of a tension and a push pull. This is a very heady interview. So, <laughs> like, I was like, "Hey, man, I just got this new piece of gear. I want to talk about it." It's like now, now we're talking about like you know loss and <laughs> no lay lay down on my couch, please. Let's let's discuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so tell me about your day to day and how you got to that point because I, yeah. I see all these things that you do podcasting you've done stuff for a number of people including iHeartRadio and NPR and yeah how do we get to the current roles that you have today where does all that stem from okay so it stems from two things the first is a project thing and the second is a life thing i mean they can go in either order but the project thing was in 2017, I had this idea that I could combine everything that I know how to do creatively, being mix, write fiction, sing, play instruments, into one project. So I started making that project in my spare time. And it is an exceedingly weird piece of audio fiction that is stalled out a little bit because I don't ever, never have time or money for it, called salmon's run it was a novel that i wrote that i turned into this weird thing that is i'm so bad at pitching it by the way i like this is why it's never sold it's like the story is it's like a a kid who happens to look like a terrorist but he isn't accidentally blows up new york city and then everybody sort of follows him around it's supposed to be like dr strangelove for the zoomer mindset so i sort of pitched it but I wanted it to be like you first listen to it for the story and then you maybe you'd listen to every episode because it was all a through composed piece of music. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a musical. It's more like a rock opera. There's there's stuff talking, but there's also songs. There's I was married to an opera singer at the time and I got her to lay down a whole bunch of opera stuff. And it was really wacky and wild. And the sound design was nuts. Like subways would turn into drums explosions would turn into things everything would turn into sort of like this weird Trent Reznor landscape that would then break into classical Debussy style stuff happening it was bizarre but it was making me happy and so I made a couple of those and I I, I submitted it to a festival and I started meeting people in this audio world not the music world but the audio fiction world Mm. And I, I, I had the same thing happened again and again with it. Like it did great things for my, my life. It, it introduced me to a whole bunch of people in the industry. It got me my, my agent. It got me my manager. It got me some awards. But everybody who I ever pitched it to was pretty much like, this is too fucking weird, but can you do this for us? Okay. <laughs> that's great. So that's how I got into that space. Like that's how I ended up working with criminal content with American Hostage or the war on drugs recently and stuff like that was making this sort of all roads of me point here and everything just sort of like pointed to this one place and that has gotten me where I am today. That's one thing, but there's another thing too, but it's more personal. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Sure. You created an opportunity for yourself is what you've done. I guess. Yeah, sure. You took something that, that inspired you and you shared it with others and they said, aha, I want you to be part of our thing. Well, when you put it like that, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. That, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's a valuable lesson though for others. It's like, I have these rants on the show and sometimes I yes. talk about creating opportunity for yourself by connecting with people or putting yourself in positions where 
people recognize you bring something to the table. And as a result, they want you involved instead of sitting around waiting for the phone to ring to tell people how brilliant we think we are. You show them. The thing is, I was doing a little bit of that. Like, you know, ego-wise, I'm always like, you know, what's that beautiful Paul Simon line? Where's my photo opportunity? Where's my shot at redemption? (laughs) I don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Like, that was always sort of in there, but I accidentally stumbled onto the other thing, I guess. And I'm sorry, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if I'm undermining your point by saying that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I'm a human of course I wanted the thing to sell and work and move and shake. Of course I, I have an ego. I wanted it to work, but it didn't work out like that. It turned into something completely different. It yeah. turned into an opportunity that I was able to make for myself thus far that I'm very grateful for. And since doing that, you've seized some opportunities that have got you some some great work, I assume. Yeah, man. There's this gig that I have with criminal content is really fantastic because of that gig i'm able to pick and choose what other fiction stuff comes my way where i can make sure that it's like i am definitely doing something i haven't done before and fun Mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of music in my life as well i'd love there to be more i think i get about an album every couple months something like that Mm -hmm. like you know multiple singles a year but an an album every couple months an ep every couple of months ideal life is like Doing the fiction podcasts and doing music mixing and music mastering, it would be, I mean, and I'm doing it. It's just, it's just, I can't, almost can't believe I'm doing it. So I always have to tell myself like what the vision is, you know? <laughs> so the other thing that you were going to mention that's more personal, tell me about that. Sure. So basically, I mean, the, the simple way to say it is that I got really involved in doing a lot of drugs when I was in my twenties mm-hmm. and I stopped. And when I stopped, my life got a lot better. Funny how that works. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yes. But I didn't realize how much better it would make my life. Like, I really only stopped because I was going crazy. Like, I I think what had happened is I had gotten something I wanted in, in my career. I was obsessed, you know, and I got something I'd always wanted. I don't remember even what it was. And it felt like anxiety, stress, and pain. And I was like, how can this be? And someone was like, hey man, that's what it feels like when you're on drugs all the time. And I finally freaking heard them. And I did the thing and that really changed my life. Like it's, it's why I have a kid. It's why I have a partner. It's why I work for myself. It's a, it's all that stuff. It's why my life doesn't feel like it's on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened when I was 29 years old. So I'm 37. So it was really kind of like I was freelancing for myself, doing all this stuff, really not doing very well. And giving up drugs was really, really important for turning stuff around for me. That's just my story. You know, but I think it's so important to go through that and fuck everything up for a while and then realize, okay, this is not how I want to live the rest of my life. It is for sure for me. Yeah, I wouldn't take it back for a fucking second, but I have some friends of mine that have died. Like one of my best friends died last year and I don't know how he died. And I I don't want to say anything about it in case other people know, but it was like sort of mentioned to me that it might've been, I mean, 
his life was very involved with drugs and it was bad. And he, like, I miss him every day. I just dreamt about him a week ago. I was lucky. I wish that, and he was like the most talented musician I ever knew. I mean, this guy could play every instrument. He was improvising like miles when he was 21. I mean, the guy was absolutely, and he, and he had a beautiful soul Mm. and it, it was just too much pain. So like, yeah, I only say like, yes, it was great for me to go and fuck everything up and then like try my hand at fixing it or saying, I don't know how to fix it. Some and accepting help. But my friend, I wish he had, I, I don't, it doesn't happen for everybody. And I wish it had happened for him. No, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, not everybody gets through it. Yeah. And comes out on the other side. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. You're spending your time doing this work for yourself. Are you working from home? primarily? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I'm working from home. My studio is in shambles right now because I, I'm always tweaking it around. I mean, I think everybody is, but I just, I just sent out my B&W 802s to get sort of tweaked up a little bit. And I got some more sound panels and I have to figure out some more just acoustic treatment. I got to figure out how I want to measure and, you know, put it all up and stuff. So, but yeah, I work out of a room in my house and I fucking love it. My commute is the best. So you, you, you live in Brooklyn. Do you, are you in an apartment or a, a house or? We're in a, what's called a multi-story house and we have the top two floors. And my studio is basically in this house's attic. And there is no one, like my own kitchen is underneath me and there's no one to the left or right. So I can go. That's great. That's great. So the people on the very bottom floor have that barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're probably, we're outgrowing this house, unfortunately, because my son basically sleeps in an alcove in our bedroom and that can't go on for much longer, Mm -hmm. but it's been a beautiful journey here. So I work out of my house. I've got all my outboard here and I have my speakers there. It's pretty fun. 
Interesting. And when you quit doing drugs and, and start to kind of re-shift your focus a bit, did you see immediate results as far as your success with audio and or whether it be music or podcasting? Yes and no. I saw immediate opportunities, but not immediate results to get the life that I wanted back. Because what had happened was I had dug myself into quite a lot of financial distress from spending all of my money on, on drugs. marijuana and pills. Yeah. Right. So I had to take a day job for a few years in the audio industry as a copywriter for pro audio gear for a store. And I loved all the people I worked with there, but I, it felt like death. It felt all like office death. But it did allow me to do things like have an income and learn how to save money and gave me enough time that I would get an NPR job and I could do it. Or I'd get a job from one of those podcast companies that's really a front for billionaires trying to wash their money to look cool. Um, <laughs> and I'd, I'd be able to do that too. And, and I'd build like a thing here and a thing there while working 10 to 6 and of course, it was an audio company, so I could get things reasonably discounted. I got my Verimu, and uh, I think I got all my SPL gear kind of that way. And then I just sort of bid my time. The pandemic happened. We all started working from home. And I was like, I can't ever go back. And like lit opportunities happened where enough work came to me in the audio space that I could count on that I could just let go of the full-time job, go on the... I could go on my, my wife's insurance and start going. That was really the big piece. So, so immediate results, no, but immediate opportunities, yes. And exactly when I needed them. And I was also a lot more sane around them. I had people I could talk to about it, mm -hmm. not go absolutely fucking nuts and drive myself off the wall and ask the same question to the same three people who were like, Nick, shut up. You're boring me. You know, <laughs> let me ask you this. When opportunity comes your way, how do you treat it? Well, fearfully, Usually mm -hmm. my initial response to everything is to be afraid, but then I, I try to ask myself if I actually want to do the thing I'm being offered. Yeah. And if I do, and it scares me, I call some people that I trust to talk about it and look, man, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I, I'm sober. I did the sober thing. I prayed. You know? <laughs> like, okay. And, uh, not to say that I'm like, you know, suddenly, uh, going, uh, you know, synagogue 10 days a week davening all the time. I'm Jewish, so I'm using that. Not to say that I'm like rocking back and forth and all that stuff, but I, I try to believe that this has been a hard one for me, especially in the last couple of years. I try to believe that there is something out there that wants to take care of me instead of wants to punish me. And I assume that it has my interests at heart and then things tend to work out. And do you find that opportunities come when you least expect them? Yes. I find that opportunities almost never come when I want them. Except for like the criminal content gig came my way when I, well, it's funny. It was like, I almost turned it down because I was about to have my kid and I was like, I need to go do that. But that came my way when I really wanted like a consistent audio thing I could count on in the podcasting space. So that I, th I think once, yes, most of the time, no, they came, opportunities came when I least expected it. And when I'd wanted them the least. This begs the question to me that you spend all that time doing drugs and then you transition out of that and you pick up audio gigs. How do you find your value? How do you find your worth in that time period? And how do you address that to make sure that you're being compensated 
appropriately for the gigs that you're offered? That's been very hard. So one of the nice things for me is that my clients are loyal or have been, and they've been really cool with me raising my rates as things happen, as the economy gets worse or as I've been doing this for longer and longer. But the other thing that really sort of helps with knowing my worth is I'm a people pleaser and I hate conflict. And so I really like, I get really bent out of shape about like, oh no, 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 I got to cut everybody a deal. And then I get resentful that I'm cutting everybody a deal or whatever, whatever. So I started to do a bit of work around that sort of in the sort of same framework that I used to tackle the drug stuff. I started to reach out to people that could this is going to, again, it's really cheesy. I don't, I didn't think I was going to be talking about this, <laughs> but I, I try to also be more spiritual about money. It really does come back to mm. this idea that I have to believe that I'm not being punished and I am being taken care of and then I can value myself. And so I talk about my fears, but like, oh no, if I say to this client, a mix is six hours at 75 bucks an hour, they're not going to go with me. And they'll be like, good, you need that, that time to take on a client that will go with you at that rate. Yeah. Because you need to raise your rate so you can spend more time with your family. Because at the beginning of freelancing, I was not taking off weekends and I was burning out. Mm. And I really had to solicit the help of people who've sort of done their own career thing, worked their own businesses with this sort of mindset and ask them for help constantly. And, and luckily they'd be like, this is what you say. This is how you do it. This is how you budget. This is how you draw a spending plan for your business. This is how you draw a spending plan for your personal life. This is how you calculate what you're going to owe on taxes. Make sure you pay your taxes. You know, think you have $20,000 less than you actually do in my case, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Make sure you take a vacation. Make sure you really just being open to the help and asking for it and knowing where to ask for it is how I've come to place more worth in myself, if that makes sense. That's good. I like that. Hmm. You know, I got to say, Matt, I've listened to this show a lot. I've listened to other interviews and they don't usually sound like this. <laughs> That's, you know, everybody says that though. They're always <laughs> okay, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm providing anything useful. I mean, honestly, it's like, I, I couldn't give a shit about the gear. I'm really curious about you and your thinking and, and your mindset about how you, you approach it. So how do you get your gigs? What is your method, whether it's music or podcasting? Man, I've been asking myself that. Well, like you, I'm plugged into that listserv for one thing. That hasn't yielded anything for me. Well, I think the way I started to get work through that listserv is... And just for the audience, we have to clarify. There's oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually a New York-based listserv, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've been on it not that long. You reached out to me fairly early. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's another thing. It was like, I reached out to you because I was having this really ungodly issue with my nemesis that I hate and want to choke Pro Tools. Mm. I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about it. But yes, there's this listserv exists and there's there's Badio too for Fay Area Radio. Oh. Um, I don't know if you knew that one. No, I didn't that one know that. The way I started to get work in that field from that listserv was every once in a while, someone would reach out to the list and go, hey, I'm having this bizarre issue. Can someone figure out what this is for me? And I would always message them back directly because I didn't really feel comfortable just being like, 
look at how much I know. You know? <laughs> Let me advertise to the whole listserv. This is what I know. Yeah. So I just mail Mac directly and be like, it's usually a sample rate issue. It's like, out of curiosity, is one of your things running 48 and the other thing's running 44? And they were like, why, yes, yes, it is. And I'll be like, all right, well, I ran your thing through RX and fixed it. Here you go. And they'll be like, that's awesome. What do I owe you for this? And I said, just keep me in mind for the next time you need something. And that's how I've gotten a lot of work from the listserv. It's been pretty good. And you know what? I even had like a thing with one of those clients where they talk about knowing your worth, where they said to me, can you turn around this job? We really want you for this job, but can you turn it around really fast? And it was Thanksgiving. And I said, well, I can, but I'm going to have to charge a rush fee because it's Thanksgiving and I'm with my family. (laughs) And they were like, oh, well, we don't have the money for it, but we understand. We're not based in America, so we didn't realize that, but we'll get you on the next one. And I had a lot of fear, like, oh no, I've lost that client forever. And then they just came back to me. We're like, how much would you charge now? And I'm like, for, for this. And I'm like, that's great. The rate has gone up because, you know, it's 2023 and we had to raise our rates. Right. And yeah, just knowing, like having trust that I'm making the right decisions as long as I'm thinking about them. Sorry, going back to that. No, no, no. But this this is interesting, though, because I, I like how your approach and, and it's very much the same approach for me in that you see someone needs help. In my case on that listserv, you chimed in. I was trying to help that woman, Helena. She was having like Pro Tools crashing issues and and everybody yeah. was like jumping on on the bandwagon of like, oh, you need to get rid of Pro Tools and get Reaper. I'm like, well, let's find out what the core problem is. Yeah. And the core problem was is she bought a brand new MacBook Pro with eight gigs of RAM and it was like, uh, well, there's your big problem right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not very good. You need more in this, the year of our Lord, 2023. <laughs> but that concept of reaching out to others to help them with no financial agenda whatsoever, then they end up coming back and going, hey, you're cool. I'm going to pay you to do something for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the same time, I really like to tell myself that I'm not doing it because I want the money. (laughs) I mean, of course I want the money, but I also want to help, you know? Like, I have a horrible third eye. It's like, does everybody know that you're doing this because you want this? Does everybody know that you're doing this because you want that? And I got to back that thing around and be like, just do the right fucking thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Help somebody out. And if they hire you for something, hey, bonus. Bonus. Yeah. Especially like when it comes to RX, because that thing is so powerful and so many people don't really know how to use it. You mentioned money earlier and saving and, and taxes and all that business. So where are you at with that? Are you? Do you feel like you've got a grip on this? Oh my God. Everything is a constant fight against vagueness. You know, I mean, like that's what it is, right? Like just trying to be like, wait, how much money was this? How much money was that? How much did the kid cost? Why is milk so much money now? But I can say, because I I actually just crunched the numbers because I wanted to see if I could buy my new piece of gear that I got, that after an estimated tax bill of 20 grand and some other things, my business and accounting for expenses for everything that I've paid for for life. Yeah, I made, I I was able to put away $5,000 last year. Is that a lot? I don't know, but it's more than losing money. It's, yeah, it's 5,000 more than you had before, right? Yeah, exactly. And now it's uh, two and a half thousand because I just bought this uh, very move. So, you know, here we go. <laughs> One thing that I'm I'm keenly interested in because I've gotten into Dolby Atmos and have this set up at my house, the world of theatrical podcasts in Atmos that for the headphone listener, it's all boils down to binaural, but yeah, it's something that that world of podcasting even though I'm a podcaster, seems to elude me a bit on the work. 
Yeah. It is a bit of a, um, I think the problem is, is that if you wanted to mix a, a fiction podcast for a particular studio that I'm not going to name, but could tomorrow, they would hire you. It pays 450 an episode and it's not worth it. So like, I mean, it's, it's worth it if you want to get your chops up, but that's unfortunately where the bottom of the ladder is. Like, it's sort of almost like a Roger Corman kind of situation. Like, you go in and you do what you can, severely undersold. You help one of them charts and get noticed from there in terms of, like, how to get the work in there. Well, you you said 450. I mean, what is an appropriate level to be compensated at for doing... Are you talking about a theatrical podcast? I'm talking about a theatrical podcast, but I'm, I'm not talking about just mixing. I'm talking about laying up the edit, the paper cut, and then sound designing it. And then mixing it. That uh, shouldn't be four fifty. That should be fifteen hundred dollars at the very late. Yeah, yeah. Mixing it's one thing. Doing all that other shit. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. But that's the thing. It's like if you want to get into fiction podcasting, unless you're employed by a Spotify company, or unless you came over from NPR, or unless you did what I did and network your way into it with a product that you've made, it's really hard to just get your foot in the door without taking a big financial hit first, which is just like sort of the way the music industry sort of works. Yeah. At least that's how, what I think, I don't know. I'm not an, I'm not an authority on, on really on any sort of thing like that. I just, it's what it looks like. No, it's interesting. Cause I, I just, I'm always talking about diversification on the show and right, right, right. that's one area that I'm trying to diversify into is doing podcast work, whether it's two people talking or a theatrical thing, but yeah, yeah. Doing music mixes and mastering, yeah, I could do that all day long. That work comes to me, yeah, 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 which is great. But I, I want to do this other thing, so that's that's why I ask. Sure, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Is like you could try my thing of of making something. Uh, maybe that would work. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know that I could get you a mixing job for a fiction podcast company tomorrow if you wanted to make very little money. No, not really. <laughs> want to be compensated. <laughs> You know, you said something earlier that I, I want to circle back to, and you said essentially you were saying that things have not worked out in the way you originally had envisioned or planned. Right. What was the original thing that you thought would happen? The original thing that I thought would happen was like, it couldn't have happened. It was that like, I would be, uh, it's like embarrassing to say, but like, you know, I wanted to be a rock star who wrote novels, <laughs> you know, like, and and I had two therapist parents from the 80s being like, you can do that, son. We believe in you. By the way, we have no idea how money works. <laughs> you know? Like, and I love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, but it's just like completely ill-suited for the, like, basically, I just took on my father's dream of just wanting to be somebody, you know, wanting to be approved. Yeah. So, like, having the ability to go into a circle of musicians or writers and be able to be, like, make stuff and not have to make stuff for other people was the original dream. Right. But it was so one-dimensional compared to what is happening now. Like, just the other day, I was on a call with the director of this fiction podcast I'm working on now. It was, like, a big dude. He won an Academy Award. He's, like, a, a real dude. And... Just the way he thinks about shit, like how I, I was like, oh my God, I could do that. Like, I just like that thing that he wants me to do. It never would occur to me. And that's why he's the director and I'm the audio engineer. And now I'm like cribbing that move for other things, you know? <laughs> 
that take, you know, you have to get out and meet people like that. You have to interact. You have to ask questions and probe people's brains to find these things out. You have to be not afraid to look really stupid. Like, I don't know everything. I really don't. Right. And I have to be okay. No one's going to think I'm an idiot because I said the wrong thing about something. Right. You know, I have to like let go. And if someone says, no, that's not how that works, I have to be like, oh, yeah, really? Tell me how it works. You know, like I can't be like, oh, no, yeah, that is, is how it works. I know because I do this. You know, like I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, this whole podcast that I'm doing, I mean, this whole show is predicated on me finding stuff out. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's great. And you've, you've had some like, you've had some pretty big dudes telling you how to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really it's, it's all secretly. I really just wanted to ask people questions and get away with it. And I mean, that's why one of many weird things I did was I worked at Forbes as a contributor and I made this audio engineering sort of niche there. And that was how I was able to get out to LA and meet Dave Pensado and stuff like that. It was totally the same thing. It was like, I just want to meet these people. <laughs> Let's see what I can do. I just want to learn stuff. So this goes back to you and I talking about creating opportunities for yourself. Yeah. Whether intentional or not, the things that you have done have opened doors for you, I imagine, that you didn't think were going to get opened. No. Yeah. And I think one other thing that I have to constantly tell myself when I'm like down about something is that at the end of the day, the hours that I spent making the thing were fun. They have to be fun. Mm -hmm. It has to be fun. I can't just do this because I want to be seen or something. Like That's not going to make me happy. It has to be fun. I remember I was in this opportunity thing that happened, the Salmon's Run thing. I was lying in bed and I was going, oh, this scene kind of sucks. And I was like, oh shit, it needs to be an aria. I have to write an aria. I have to write an aria. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I got to... Dust out my fucking species counterpoint. Figure out how to write classical music again. And that became the puzzle. The puzzle was fun. Shit was fun. You know what wasn't fun was writing endless people at like Bad Robot or fucking Hyperbot Space or whatever these companies are named and just being like, would you please look at my thing? <laughs> That's not fun. That is the opposite of fun. That is just like the maddening circle of hell. And so I always have to tell myself, and I guess if I'm talking to anybody, it's just like, remember that this is fun. Remember that there is the fun part and that you can always get back to the fun part. It exists. Since you're a writer as well as an audio professional, I have to ask. Sure. Does this world of chat GPT make your head spin or? I love it. I fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Because this is, all right. So the other day I was like using it to help me figure out a plot. Mm. It was great. It was like having an assistant. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. I was on it last night asking it advice on cameras. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I'm looking at this model and this is what I want to do. And it's like, well, you might want to consider these models that are less expensive. And I was like, holy crap. Oh yeah. This is so much better than Google. Yeah. How about text? I've definitely used it to figure out. I was like having a huge latency issue and I couldn't figure out what it was because I wanted to automate my mix. And for latency just started happening randomly. I didn't go to Google. I went to ChatGPT and it fixed, it fixed it. You're shitting me. Like you asked it Pro Tools questions? Mm -hmm. Wow. Now it only knows Pro Tools up to 2021. That's right. It only knows anything up to 2021. Right. And that'll change. Yeah. And it's also wrong frequently. 
I work off of a laptop because I like to be mobile. Like yeah. to plug into my studio or go to my wife's mother's house and be in the country yeah. and work there. So I use loopback so Pro Tools doesn't just quit when I take my headphone jack out. So ChatGBT told me that it was a, originally that I had a clocking issue with loopback. And then I looked and I was like, where do I sync the clock and loopback? And they were like, I'm sorry, you're right. There is no place to sync the <laughs> clock and loopback. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable what it can do. And I know that everybody's freaking out that the sky is going to fall, but it's pretty amazing. People were freaking out about AI mastering. You remember that? Yeah. And it's like, dude. AI mastering is great. It shows you what your mix sounds like. And then you work on it more and you hand it to a real mastering engineer. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. Well, people freaked out when drum machines were introduced too. Oh, drummers are all going to be out of work. And Yes, we all want everything like this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Clearly that didn't age well. Nope. So for my audience, you need to go to Nick's website, which I'll put a link in the show notes. It's nickmacitti.com, N-I-C-K-M-E-S-S-I-T-T-E.com. That means I'm going to have to update it because I haven't updated that site in years. All oh, right. come on, Nick. <laughs> Got to have your website updated. Just, you know what? You're like everybody else though. Oh, wait, they're going to go to my website? I haven't updated it in five years. There's yeah, still old yep. pictures of me there. Yeah, I have hair. It's crazy. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what happens when you have a kid. You start to lose your age. It's literally like Homer Simpson, just like <laughs> just pulling it all out. Yep. Well, hey, man, nice to meet you. You as well. I don't know when the next time I'm going to be in New York is. It's been a long time since I've been in New York. Honestly, keep it that way. It sucks here. <laughs> don't come out here. <laughs> it's the worst. Terrible just move place. to the suburbs. Stay, stay in a house in the suburbs. Look, see a tree. Yeah. Much better. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate you taking the time to answer my bizarre questions and, and get all psychotherapeutic with me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I hope I made some amount of sense. I usually don't. So hopefully I did today. Oh, I think you did. So okay, good. thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take care. You too. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Nick Masitti here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I know I have to be a nag. I have to remind you, if you do like this show, it really helps out if you go and leave a five-star review at your podcast aggregator, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you're at, that always helps. Uh, that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo in the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and who else but Chuck Smith there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn and, of course, send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com if you need something to get in touch about. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. 
And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 